A farmer goes on a month-long vacation. When he returns, his acres upon acres of farmland is covered entirely by a mold, a mold that doubles its area every day. Knowing this in mind, he traces back the origin of this mold, from the very first day in which he departed. On that day, the area of mold was too small to even be identifiable by the human eye. That is the danger of the exponential function. Hi hi, welcome welcome, this is Metapol with me, Cactus. Throughout this show, I've talked about various phenomena that I've referred to as exponential. I've talked about network effects, technological growth, economic productivity, and population, among others. And I've talked about how these exponential features make them especially dangerous phenomena. I've talked about how there are mathematical tools and ways of thinking that allow you to process these ideas in a way that actually gives them an according weight. However, I've never really gone into detail about what this actually means, what you can do to leverage these risks, and why it is so difficult to actually gain traction and public awareness around these core ideas. However, that's exactly what I'm going to do today. Fortunately for this explanation, we live in a time where we are all being constantly terrorized by one such exponential phenomena. Of course, we are locked inside our houses due to a virus, one of the core examples of an exponential function that grows repeatedly based on the number of people who are infected. You might have heard the number of people that someone spreads the virus to referred to as the R0 on news. If you have, for example, an R0 of 2, then a single person infected with the virus would then go on to infect two other people, who then infect four people, and so on. Repeating the pattern until there is a mass outbreak in a given country or area. Part of this is why there was such a drastic explosion in cases across the world, and why the response was so lacking. You can see that with this exponential rate of growth, it only takes 10 steps or layers in order to reach 1,000 infections, approximately 20 to reach a million infections, and similarly only 30 layers to reach a billion infections. If you plot this out on a graph, you can see that the numbers look like they're skyrocketing after a brief period of incubation. However, there are data and tools that scientists use in order to help understand this. Nonetheless, this caught the WHO and governments across the world completely off guard, even when the explanations were available for exactly how this virus would spread. In the end, poor judgment prevailed, and we have to understand why. Before we do that, we have to look at all of the exponential functions in our lives. They are few and far between, but probably more consequential than anything else. First we have the obvious, population growth, in which more people are able to have more children, which are then able to have more people as long as the resources are there. Economic growth, in which investments return dividends that can further be reinvested and can cause growth in various companies. Climate change, where deforestation, extreme weather, and arctic methane deposits, which may be released in the future, can be affected by increased temperatures, and then make it even more difficult to reduce the temperatures or create a skyrocketing effect. Technology, 
where innovation on either the hardware and software side allow further applications, allow interactions between different types of technologies, and enable further innovation that saves exponential amounts of time in all sorts of sectors. And finally, something I've talked about incredibly frequently in recent episodes, network effects, the social interactions, procedures, and technologies that allow for ideas to spread between humans and for mass organizing to occur. This actually bears striking similarities to the spread of a virus, as people interacting with each other, in this case either online or in real life, can further spread ideas and can further create and can further create massive momentum. One amazing example of this in recent days is the Wall Street Bets short squeeze saga. A Reddit subreddit, which is essentially an online community, organized to increase the stock price of something that was being shorted. In other words, they noticed that companies had sold a stock with the intention of eventually having to buy that stock back and pay for it, and realized that they could generate a profit and significantly harm these hedge fund managers if they mass bought that stock and created a skyrocketing price. Normally, this would be incredibly difficult to actually organize on a large level. However, with the use of social media, with the use of technologies, and through the use of network effects, through people communicating with those in their friend group, and those people communicating with their friend group, and so on, we saw an incredibly rapid acceleration in which the price of the stock rose to more than 20 times its original price. Of course, this is also a story of corruption, where various large financial firms pushed for government to actually attack these individual traders, pushed for these online brokerages to handicap or otherwise harm these individual investors, and for social media to disable their sites. All of this, of course, is illegal. However, it is unlikely to be prosecuted, particularly in the United States environment. However, the stocks that those individual people were pushing still nonetheless rose, demonstrating the power of the ability to communicate and the power of these ideas to spread throughout social networks. While this may be one where the individual traders were to benefit, there's much more malicious uses of these phenomena, including the idea of a pathogen, a combination of a pathology and a pathogen. In other words, an idea that is incredibly infectious and also compulsive. One great example is a conspiracy theory, one that warps the user's worldview and then creates an incentive for them to further spread the conspiracy theory. Not only that, but it also motivates them to act, including investing significant time, money, and energy into various efforts, possibly even leading to violence. These can have incredibly immediate effects on everything else, as you saw in the world of politics, in which various conspiracy theories became mainstream in both parties, namely Russian racial conspiracy theories and election fraud conspiracy theories. This resulted in streams of violence after the election, as well as previously, during the summer in the lead-up to the election. Moreover, returning to the government failures during the virus, one of the core strengths of exponential functions is that until the last few moments, they're incredibly difficult to detect. Because there is such an ability 
for growth to come essentially out of nowhere, as we talked about in the example at the beginning of the show. Even a small window of time given could allow for growth from nothing to something that is dominant in a society or in a social network. However, the question that can be asked is also why there seems to be an emotional counter-reaction to much of this data and much of this understanding that would motivate us to act immediately upon detecting something like an economic collapse or a virus. Stories from those who had early predictions of the 2008 housing bubble somewhat illustrate this. Many of them talk about a small understanding of the potential phenomena at risk. Fundamentally, there was a housing bubble in which housing prices were greatly overvalued and that when this was beginning to be noticed, there would be a collapse in prices and many firms would lose everything. However, those who recognize this didn't necessarily bet fully against it. They didn't fully invest in the discoveries that they themselves had made. One can put it up simply to risk aversion, or wanting to go mostly with the social status quo. However, I think there's a deeper layer to why this failure tends to be so associated with dealing with exponential phenomena. This is the experiential frame, something that most people adhere to throughout their entire lives, in which all events are considered in a linear sequence, and no thought is given to various potential branches or to various possibilities that don't actually manifest themselves. This is incredibly common in storytelling, in mass media, even in journalism, one of the chief critiques that I have of it. This of course leads to things like confirmation bias, negativity bias, and quite evidently narrative bias, in which people try to fit everything, in which people try to fit every single possibility into one linear sequence, one binary choice between good and evil. This reductionism is heavily rooted even in biological origins, where many people, when hunting, when engaging in other processes, are not meant to think about large combinations, and certainly are not meant to think about exponential functions. And because of that, this experiential frame, which was adaptive to this type of situation, in which there was a small scale of events to deal with, in which most of them did indeed occur in a linear sequence, and in which vast networks and runoff effects had to be considered, was completely out of the question. However, what this results in is a complete simplification of reality to a point in which simply interpreting things through this lens leads to a complete inability to act on things like, for example, a pandemic. And this is one of the gravest forces that explain what is going on today. Moreover, this experiential frame can incredibly easily be parasitized by things like pathologens, conspiracy theories, and narrative bias, in which, for example, grouping extreme stories across the country can seem like a pattern of anything. For example, QAnon believers who take the very small fraction of the population that is affected by pedophilia stories and amplifies those believes that there's a cabal of pedophiles running the government. And similarly, those who believe in Russian racial conspiracies take a look at a small number of stories extrapolated out to the entire country and believe that there is a cabal of racists. 
this delusion actively takes advantage of the experiential frame. It takes advantage of the fact that many people simply slot these events into their mind as a linear sequence, instead of actually thinking about the probabilities, instead of actually looking at the world at large, and actually considering the probabilities before assuming that something is simply always true or always false. These fallacious tendencies then evolve through pathologians into taking advantage of network effects, spreading like wildfire or like the coronavirus through various social networks by having people become compulsive due to believing in these conspiracy theories, then sharing them, making this conspiracy theory contagious. Once again, that's how you identify a pathologian. And as you saw with the 2020 election, as you saw with the coronavirus response, this has incredible immediate impacts on all of our lives. So there is a significant motivation to break out of these experiential frames, not only for yourself, but for everyone around you. However, this proves to be an incredibly difficult task, especially for those who have been conditioned to actually believe in this experiential frame throughout their entire lives. However, there are many heuristics, strategies that are not perfect, but can be helpful in most cases, to apply simple ideas and break out of the experiential frame. First of all, recognize and assess the threats. I've listed major categories of exponential functions that you'll see in everyday life already. For those of you who may have forgotten, those are population, viruses, economy, climate, technology, and network effects. Of course, I'll almost be sure to talk about many of those in this podcast in the future. Being simply able to recognize when something is exponential, to recognize when something has seriously broken out of those linear sequences, when something simply doesn't fit into the framework that people have been conditioned to measure, is an ability in and of itself. It doesn't mean that everything will make sense immediately after that. It doesn't mean that you'll immediately understand the solutions. But it does mean that your threat awareness will go up, that you will recognize that it is a problem, and that you will seek out a solution. One of the gravest problems in the political system today is that these exponential functions are so hard to detect early on and can be near impossible to stop near the end. So there is a specific middle, which I believe is right now, when the early symptoms are beginning to manifest, when it is observable and explicit throughout the entire political system, that network effects, viruses, economic collapses are going on, that these things are moving in front of you, and that is the best time to explain this to anyone and to have them recognize and assess the threat. The second is to avoid basing everything off of stories and examples. While they can be incredibly effective in illustrating a possibility, they are in no way representative of the whole. One only needs to once again look at conspiracy theories to show this. Instead, you should be looking at the fundamental principles at play, as well as the hard data on the ground, the measurable statistics whenever there are any, to understand a broader grasp of the world. This will allow you to at least pick a direction or pick a magnitude in which you think the problem should be addressed. Moreover, understanding the gravity of the situation 
understanding that we are playing with the full stack, understanding that although things may still be remotely peaceful right now, that there could be significant damage from these exponential functions in only a few months, if not years, is something that needs to be taken account of. Third is specialization. Because these exponential phenomena require thinking many steps ahead, you may have to shrink your breadth to increase your depth. With greater complicated political systems and broader economic ideas, there are simply so many issues that it's difficult to have an in-depth understanding of any single one of them. However, if you want to be a pillar of the community, if you want to be someone who's able to explain something in-depth, who's willing to understand every single part of a given phenomena, at least every single part that's available to understand right now, then that greatly requires specialization. Of course, this isn't to say that you should stop paying attention to anything that is happening around you, but rather that you should prioritize, that you should pick one specific thing, as I do with disinformation, to look at, to understand, and to broaden your horizons on, to look further into the future, to be able to calculate various steps going ahead on that specific phenomena, and be the one to forewarn your community and those around you. Of course, if you have a like-minded group, then it could also be useful to actually diversify that specialization. So have one person looking at economics, have another looking at viruses, have a third looking at network effects. This is simply common sense. Finally, a very difficult task for many will be to train your mind to think in terms of calculations. One part can generally just be to strengthen your mathematical skills. However, you don't really need that much outside of a high school level to actually look at many of the events around you. Many of the explanations that I talked about in this podcast are relatively simple. Network effects can be much more complicated, however, just looking at exponential growth rates is something that you learn in 10th, 11th, or 12th grade. There are many simple mathematical principles, such as probabilities, such as exponential growth, that can be learned without having to invest a large amount of time. Moreover, understanding when to recognize specific patterns, when to apply certain mathematical principles, is a core strategy in and of itself. Being able to look at various issues and balance the pros and cons to make a risk-reward calculation based on how much you prioritize different values is in of itself a skill, even if the actual mathematical operations applied are just multiplying some numbers and adding them together. Once again, those four steps are to be alert for exponential functions, to avoid falling for stories and examples, to specialize in something that you believe is particularly threatening, and to build mathematical skills and think in calculations whenever you're dealing with complicated issues. However, I cannot emphasize enough both the difficulty and necessity of breaking outside of the experiential frame, of the significant prison that linearizes very complicated events, that reduces people to an inability to think, and that creates sheer impotence even when all of the data necessary to solve a problem is presented in front of authorities. Of course, while stories of fear and outrage are prevalent across media, 
what is actually true is that exponential functions are coming for you. The intent isn't to trigger that emotional response, but if it did, then that's good nonetheless. Because even if you don't have that immediate fundamental mathematical understanding about how fast these problems can get out of hand, a baseline of fear is good in this situation. If that is something that motivates you, or if you are motivated by the logic and the statistics backing this argument, then, as always, share the podcast. And I don't mean these things as a formality. I mean them sincerely, and talk about them in a specific, explanatory way for every single episode that I do. So, in this episode, above all, I think that that danger should be there. Understand that while there may be a cost to getting involved, that it may be difficult to process many of these changes in interpretations of things around you, that what happens if you don't is much scarier than what happens if you do. So, share any information that you find valuable, particularly those that allow you to particularly those that you can put in a toolbox and spread further to people around you. Share this episode, any of the previous episodes, any of the information that you may have heard from other sources that allow you to sift through the information that's out there in an effective way. Share motivational factors, be it frameworks, data, or even stories, as long as they're towards things that are backed by hard information. Build that network. Use the exponential functions available to you in communicating with those you know, in investing in possible solutions, in creating innovations in technology around you. Do that, and we might just have a chance.